Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Turn the Page edition, as the Bengals officially transition from the Andy Dalton era to the Joe Burrow era. Coming up, I'll talk to Dave Lapham about Andy's legacy in Cincinnati and why the Bengals elected to let him go now instead of holding on to him as long as possible in hopes of swinging a trade. We'll replay a short portion of an interview we did with Andy late last season that hits home following his release. And I'll talk to the Bengals' new quarterbacks coach, Dan Pitcher, on Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton, and how a summer handyman job as a college student helped him eventually wind up coaching in the NFL. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the Andy and A.J. Dalton Foundation. As college students at TCU, Andy and his wife, J.J., decided they would start a foundation to help seriously ill and physically challenged children and their families. Since then, they've paid for entertainment hubs for kids in multiple hospitals, hosted date nights for parents of seriously ill children, where the Daltons entertain the kids while their parents are treated to an expensive dinner date. They've treated children to Christmas parties and trips to Kings Island, and they've purchased medical equipment and provided financial relief to families that need it most. In short, They've been incredibly generous with their time and resources. For more information about their foundation or to make a donation, just go to andydalton.org. My first year as the Bengals radio play-by-play announcer was Andy Dalton's first year at quarterback. And I remember reading a story in Sports Illustrated around the time he was drafted where an unnamed NFL coach said the following to Peter King. Has there ever been a red-headed quarterback in the NFL who's done really well, the coach asked? It sounds idiotic, but is there any way that could be a factor? He's right. It was idiotic. But I remembered that quote the first time I met Andy and saw just how red his hair is. That's why I decided to have some fun with it in his first preseason by calling him the Red Rifle, the nickname certainly stuck. Andy's accomplishments were nothing short of remarkable. Five straight playoff trips, the best winning percentage of any Bengals QB with 25 or more starts, and the most completions and touchdown passes of any quarterback in franchise history. The only thing he didn't do was lead the team to postseason success, and I honestly believe that would have happened in 2015. That year, his passer rating was a franchise record 106.3, and the team was 10-2 and the number one seed in the AFC playoff race when he broke his thumb. Unfortunately, the Bengals have not been back to the playoffs since. Last year, before the season opener in Seattle, I asked the three-time Pro Bowler the following question. What are you proudest of? 
Yeah, I think anytime you can stay in one place for a long time, I think that's that's one thing. We really established ourselves in Cincinnati from the time that we got here. And so this is a place that we wanted to be and we wanted to be here for a long time. So I think first and foremost to be able to, you know, have success enough to where you know you're going to be in the city of Cincinnati, I think that's that's one thing. There's been a lot of accomplishments that that uh, have gone on since I've been here. Obviously, like you said, the three the three pro bowls and different things, but um want to keep playing for, for a while so uh, you know hopefully we're we're kind of in the middle stages of my career. Andy turns 33 in October and should have plenty of good football left. It'll be interesting to see where he winds up. That's among the things I discussed with my broadcast partner Dave Lapham. Lap, what is Andy Dalton's legacy in Cincinnati? I think he's he's a, a clear-cut case of a tale of two careers instead of a tale of two cities. I mean his first his first uh, 57 or, or 76 games, 50, 25, and 1. <laughs> Unbelievable. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, the only quarterbacks that had more victories than him in that time frame. His last uh, 57 games, 20, 36, and 1. You know, and it, there's, as we know, a myriad of reasons why. I mean, when he started out his career with those, with those 50 wins and 25 losses and a tie, he had Andrew Whitworth, the left tackle. He had A.J. Green. I mean, he had he had solid people around him, a solid situation. Jay Gruden was his offensive coordinator. They kind of grew together. Um, and then in the, at the the back half of his career, it was musical chairs at, uh, you know, a merry-go-round at left tackle. Same type of uh, scenario at offensive coordinator. I really think that he's a clear-cut case of when you surround him with uh, competent people, He'll give you a damn good performance. And uh, if you leave him out there in the lurch, you're going to struggle. And that's the case with most quarterbacks. I mean, I, there's a reason for that old saying that they get too much uh, blame when things uh, go poorly and, and, and not enough credit when things go well. In a normal year, even with his salary, he would have been easy to trade for a draft pick. But this is not a normal year. Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota – were all available to teams. Nick Foles as well, and the Bears pounced on him. It made for a difficult market for the Bengals in trying to trade him. It did, you know, and uh, it, there's no doubt in the game of musical chairs, there were too many quarterbacks and not enough chairs. The music stopped, and, and it was it was a, a tough dynamic for sure. And when, when, every, when all those quarterbacks saturated the, or saturated the market, you know, it just it, at, the, at that point in time, it was, boy... You know, you know that nobody's going to give up draft capital and inherit a seventeen point seven million dollar contract. That's that's there's no way that's going to happen. And uh, there, are, you know, Bill Bill Belichick's just sitting there. He was just waiting in the weeds. I mean, I'd hate to play poker with him. He'll wait you out forever and keep a poker face the whole time. It wouldn't try me. You know, the fact that they didn't even draft a quarterback with all those picks they had that uh, he felt like he was going to get a good shot at Andy Dalton when the Bengals uh, terminated him. And down there in Jacksonville, you're going to think of Jay Gruden and the Jacksonville Jaguars might be thinking the same thing. So uh, if there's a couple of couple of teams with a significant interest, um, you know, I think backup salary, quarterback salaries are what tops in the high $3 million range. Um, he might be able to generate a little bit more than that, but there's not a whole lot of starting jobs left out there, that's for sure. 
after spending more than $130 million on unrestricted free agents, the Bengals don't have room under the cap for a $17.7 million backup quarterback, especially as they try to extend A.J. Green and Joe Mixon. But they could have waited until week one to see if an injury created a need somewhere else. Why didn't they? Because of their respect for Andy. You know, I think that once the, once the draft took place and there were no no trades, uh, you know, prior to the draft, during the draft, or right after the draft. I think at that point they realized the market was dry. Everybody had made quarterback decisions and nobody was going to do anything that was going to be, uh, you know, change the landscape significantly. So at that point in time, they wanted to do what's best for Andy Dalton. And I'm sure Andy Dalton wanted to, to move on and try to find the best opportunity for him to extend his career. He still believes he's a starting NFL quarterback. And, you know, stranger things have happened. But, I mean, if he goes out there and it's totally dry and, you know, and the Bengals say, hey, this is what we can afford to give you as a backup quarterback uh, for a season, would you think about it? I mean, stranger things have happened. I think the odds of that are minuscule. But it doesn't it doesn't close that door because, you know, one thing that Andy Dalton has done is he's done with everything in his career as a, as a football player, as a husband, as a dad, as a brother, as a son, as a community member, everything he does, he does with class. He, didn't, he hasn't burned any bridges here. Um, so I, I think, you know, if something doesn't work out, New England, Jacksonville, or wherever it may be, um, you know, the door's not slammed. It's not bolted shut. But it would be it would be a tough, a tough pill to swallow, I think a tough dynamic. But I do think the timing of this is all about uh, trying to do what's best for Andy Dalton to extend his career because they feel like they owe that to him. Lap, I'm sure Joe Burrow could have learned from Andy Dalton as a veteran mentor slash sounding board. There are veterans out there, Joe Flacco, Mike Glennon, Matt Moore, Blake Bortles, and others. Do you see the Bengals possibly reaching out to an older guy like that so that Joe Burrow could have somebody like Bruce Gradkowski was for Andy? I think with Joe Burrow, um, you know, Joe Burrow's older than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And Joe Burrow's had life experiences probably uh, in terms of facing adversity more than a lot of quarterbacks uh, that are stars in the National Football League have had to experience. I think his chronological age and his life experiences age, uh, I think, make him ready. And, and plus the fact, when you look at it, everybody in the organization is a quarterback, including the owner. <laughs> Mike, Mike Brown played at Dartmouth. Duke Tobin played at, uh, at Colorado. You know, Zach Taylor. Um Coach Callahan, a pitcher, everybody, everybody involved with uh, with Joe Burrow played the quarterback position. So I think they feel they've got enough people to give them opinions and tutor them and all those sort of things. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be bad to have a guy like that in the locker room, but uh, in, in that quarterback meeting room and in the locker room. But you know, Joe Burrow, uh, when I asked him about it on the press conference after he was drafted about how difficult it may be uh, relationship-wise with Andy, difficult or not. You know, his answer was just he hit it out of the park like he did all of them. He'll, he'll deal with uh, deal with it if, if Andy's part of the, uh, the picture, and he'll deal with it if it's just uh, young quarterbacks and him. I mean, I think he's capable and ready to, to uh, adapt and adjust to just about anything. I really do. You participated in events for the uh... – Andy and, and J.J. Dalton Foundation. I know how much respect you have for him as a person. Uh, how big a part of his legacy is what he did off the field? 
I think it's uh, I think it's huge, you know, and I and I think that when when um, you know you talk about does did Andy Dalton get his just due, uh, you know, on the field or as a quarterback with the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, in the from a national perspective, really nobody in Cincinnati is going to get their just due. But even on a local basis, I'm not sure that necessarily he got his just due from what he did, you know, as a quarterback on the field and. And maybe even you know what he's done off the football field because it is it is remarkable, it is amazing to watch him interact with with the people and and how they look at him because of the way he's affected their lives in such a positive way. I mean, giving them a beacon of hope, you know, a, a beacon of light. It's it's just it's it's man, it's it's humanity at its highest level. There's no question about it. And he should be uh, extremely proud of that. I know he is. I know his wife, JJ, is. And, and I know that uh, he was very, very appreciative of all the people in Cincinnati that rallied around his uh, his efforts with respect to the foundation. And not only here in Cincinnati, but down in Dallas-Fort Worth as well. So I'm sure he'll, he'll probably continue with things that he's done here in Cincinnati. But if he ends up in another location, um, I'm sure he'll have to split the pot. I'm sure he'll do something wherever he ends up and, and continue in his hometown area, Dallas-Fort Worth as well. Lap and I did a lengthy interview with Andy for one of our radio shows in late November, right after he got his starting job back after a three-game benching behind rookie Ryan Finley. He promptly led the team to a win over the Jets, ending their 11-game losing streak to begin the season. I've edited that interview down to about five minutes that seem appropriate following his release. You're a man of faith and a family man. How important have those two components to your life been in dealing with what you've been dealing with here? Yeah, it's been the uh, you know biggest thing for me. You know, I think um, I was saying earlier when when it first happened, I was just bitter, didn't like was wanted to not be the same person that I've been. Wanted to choose to you know uh, not help out, just sit in the meeting and get through the rest of the season and, and let it go on. But it's like that, that, that's not who I am. That's not who I'm called to be. It's um, you know, I'd be choosing to be somebody that I'm not, and so you know that weighed on me heavy. And sure. um, and, and and for then I was just like, just be yourself. You know, God's gonna honor whatever uh, if you handle this the right way. God's gonna honor you and. Um, you know, I, I felt like that's how I had to, I had to be, I, you know, I, I told everybody well, right when it first happened in, in the team meeting, like, I'm going to be the same guy. I'm, you know, don't, don't feel awkward around me. It's going right. to be, it's going to be okay. I, you know, I'll, I'll get through it. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I felt like I was that way, even on game day, I felt like I was giving suggestions, trying to help Ryan out as much as I could and, uh, you know, trying to help this team win. Yep. We're visiting with Andy Dalton. There's an old saying. You don't appreciate someone or you don't appreciate something until it's gone. And you haven't been gone. But after you were taken out of the starting lineup, it seems to me there was an outpouring of appreciation and respect that I'm not sure that you got when you were leading the team to the playoffs five years in a row. Did you feel that? Long overdue. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I have received a lot of support. And so, um, you know, it's it's kind of a weird spot to be in, you know, when you're, uh, you know, Felt like you know I it, I didn't deserve to 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 not be playing, but you know I guess I I understood a little bit what Zach was trying to do, but I mean I didn't agree with it and all that kind of stuff. And then um, yeah, a lot of people have supported me through it, and um, yeah, I, I think that's it, it's it's been cool to see. You know, there's people that gave to our foundation and, and, and different things like that, and 
I mean, we'll always take that. I mean, we'll be able to help so many uh, kids and families with, with, with that kind of stuff. But it's always nice when you have the support of the city around you. I know um, your, your situation, the, the conversation that you had with Zach, so, and I know, you know, you weren't real happy. There was even talk about just go ahead and trade me. So in your mind right now, you're not just playing for the Cincinnati Bengals evaluation. You're playing for 31 of the teams to take a look at what Andy Dalton's all about after having been sat down, come back. What's he got? I mean, what kind, what kind of a intestinal force? What, what's this guy all about all the way around? Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the situation that we're in and, and, and everything. And so, you know, I'm I'm trying to put the best stuff out there that I can. Um, you know, if if that's for here, then great. If that's for somewhere else, I mean, that's it's all to be determined going forward. But, you know, my whole goal is to win and uh, win right now and, and win some of these last games and um you know, I think that's the most important thing right now. How frustrating was it? Because players were coming up to me and saying, "Lap, 14s in, we win these last two games." How frustrating was it to you to be on the sideline thinking, "If I was in the football game, man, I mean, can you let that kind of enter your thoughts, or do you have to kind of keep them out?" No, I I think for any competitor, you want to you feel like your skill set should be able to help the team, and um, you know, for, for me. Regardless of the situation, I, I I'm going to be confident in myself and know that okay, there's some little things that I, I feel like I can do that, that that can help us win, and I, and you only get that through experience. Right. So for Ryan, Ryan was getting great experience in those those three weeks, and this stuff that he's going to take with for the rest of his football career, and he's going to understand like he went against some really good defenses. I mean, you go against the this. Ravens, the Steelers, and uh, you know some of the the blitz stuff that mm-hmm. that, that that Polly G can do in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, he's gonna just the, the best ex, um, the best thing for you is experience and playing in the game. So you know when you've played for nine years and you understand and you've seen so much, I, I felt like there's little things that that I can do to definitely help this team and and help this team win. We've kept you for one more minute than promised. This is my last question. Lap, you're not allowed to have any more. Oh, I got one more good one. I got one more good one, (laughs) I think. You're tied with Kenny Anderson, all-time touchdown passes. I know you don't play for numbers. You're trying to win championships. But it it felt to me like your Cincinnati story couldn't end the way it did, having your starting spot taken, being tied in the record book. There's, There's a chance here for a happy ending. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things. It's like, well, am I going to get in that last game? Let's get one more touchdown pass just so I have bragging rights over Kenny. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen? You know, I, I think that's one thing that uh, through these last several weeks is I, I truly have had to trust in God's plan for, for my life, for my career, my, my family, and all the stuff that goes into it. And so, um, you know, hopefully we can score a lot of touchdowns and, uh, and hopefully that record gets broken. Dalton broke Ken Anderson's franchise record for career touchdown passes with this strike that week. First and 10 at the 17 of the Jets. Dalton fakes a handoff from the pocket, throws over the middle. It is caught for a touchdown by Tyler Boyd. Andy Dalton threading the needle between two New York Jets defenders. And with that touchdown pass, the Red Rifle stands alone. Career touchdown pass number 198 in his NFL career, more than any other quarterback in Bengals history. They both wear number 14, Kenny Anderson, Andy Dalton. And I'll tell you what, this throw is unbelievable. I mean, threading the needle. Uh, You have a defender dropping back underneath coverage, 
and a, and a safety over the top. And Andy Dalton said, I trust Tyler Boyd. I'm going to zip it in there. And literally, if he was an inch either way, it would have been incomplete. But, man, great catch by Tyler Boyd. Maintained possession for that record-breaking touchdown pass to be of that variety, certainly far from mundane. That was one of 204 touchdown passes in Andy's nine years with the Bengals. And that's seven more than anybody else. Before we get to the next segment, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level this season with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. Now time for my conversation with Dan Pitcher, who was promoted to quarterbacks coach in January after Alex Van Pelt left to become the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. Dan, you're from Cortland, New York, about a half hour from Syracuse. You played quarterback for your hometown college, Cortland State, and your initial connection to the Bengals was another Cortland State alum, former offensive line coach Paul Alexander. Explain how that relationship developed. Yeah, it was it was really fortunate for me. Um, Paul had, had come back to campus, uh, and it was during one of their off-seasons, and he had come back to visit. He did a little uh, presentation, um, you know, for, for some of the students, and then he also spent time with the football program. Um, he, I, I think he may have crossed paths with our head coach at the time, Dan McNeil. I, I can't remember for sure if they were teammates or maybe they were, they just barely missed each other. But, uh, you know, so he spent time with Coach McNeil and, and met with uh, the captains at the time, which I was one of them. And uh, he's got some uh, summer uh, home on, on Skinny Atlas Lake, which is about 25 minutes from uh, Cortland. And he needed some help in the summer doing some uh, work on his property, just, uh, you know, power washing his deck and ch- cutting down trees and throwing rocks around and stuff you do when you're 21 in college looking to make a little bit of money. So uh, I, I did that for him for a couple of summers with a couple of my teammates and was able to kind of strike up a, a good relationship and he helped me get into the business. So in addition to being an excellent Division three quarterback, your handyman skills at Paul Alexander's summer home ultimately helped you get a job in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't mess up his decks too bad. <laughs> We're talking to Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. The best player in Division Three college football gets the Gagliardi Trophy, the Division Three Heisman. You were among 10 finalists your final year at Cortland State. So don't be modest. Give me a scouting report on former Cortland State Red Dragons quarterback Dan Pitcher. <laughs> uh, short, slow, but smart. I think would probably be the, the one liner. Um, I would say I was able to have success probably because I put a lot of work into it. Um, and, uh, I studied a lot and, uh, for the most part made, made really good decisions on the field, but, uh, there was nothing, uh, nothing about me athletically that scared anyone. I don't think. I'm a Syracuse grad. I mentioned that Cortland, New York is close to Syracuse. Were you a fan of the Orange in football and basketball growing up? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I think uh, for a period of time there, uh, my dad had a couple basketball season tickets, and uh, I can remember the McNabb days in the Dome. Uh, that place would be rocking with uh, my the U would come in there, and there were some there were some crazy games. Uh, coach Pascaloni was the head coach, I believe, at the time, and um, so, yeah, I, I grew up a big-time uh, Syracuse sports fan. 
We're talking to Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. Your first job in the NFL was actually as a scout with the Indianapolis Colts right out of college. What were some of the more valuable things that you learned on the scouting side of things? You know, I learned how to study players, uh, you know, really in, in all different positions. You know, my background had been in the quarterback position, so you're naturally exposed to the offensive skill positions and, and kind of what makes guys uh, successful in those areas. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other positions on the field that you know, I'd never really known what to look for and what made a good defensive tackle, you know, or what made a, what made a good uh, strong safety versus a free safety. So, you know, there was different things positionally that I was able to learn. And then I think I also it benefited me greatly that I was able to kind of learn um, the, the business of the NFL in terms of roster construction, salary cap, um, all the all the factors that go into the decisions that get made on a daily basis. Bengals coaches are heavily involved in scouting in the weeks and months leading up to the draft. Did that scouting experience come in handy for you as you were evaluating Joe Burrow and the other quarterbacks this year? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it kind of has every year since I've been here. Um, you know, because you do you know, from you know from the day the season ends until the draft, it's it's a, a good bulk of what we do here in Cincinnati, and I think it's a good thing. You know, we were. We're, we're fortunate that we get input into the process and that uh, our opinions are, are valued by management and by Duke and his staff, and uh, it's definitely something I draw on. The Bengals hired you to join the coaching staff in 2016. You've worked with wide receivers and quarterbacks in the past, and as I mentioned, now you are the quarterback's coach. This past season, Zach Taylor put you in charge of game management, and you really studied ends of halves and ends of games, correct? Correct. It was it was really a great experience for me. Um, you know that Zach kind of gave me that role. So essentially, I would I would just um, every week study situations that occurred across the league, and then really leading up into the role, I kind of studied the prior year of all the different end of half, end of game, two minute, four minute situations. Um, and just the decision-making process that goes into things like, well, when do you call a timeout versus when do you hurry up to the line and try to get another playoff while the clock's running? Or, um, you know, there's all sorts of different you know, things that come up. You know, when, when might you decline a penalty when otherwise it might, you know, you just naturally think, oh, we want to accept that penalty. Well, there might be cases where the implications that it has on the clock would lead you to want to decline the penalty. So there's just all sorts of little rules, things that go in there and, and, and all the things that you have to factor into making decisions very quickly uh, on game day that can have an effect on uh, whether you win or lose. Let's go back to the Miami game. Next to last game of the regular season, you're down by 23 in the fourth quarter. Andy Dalton throws a touchdown pass to cut it to 16 with 6.11 to go. And when Miami got the ball back, you started calling timeouts immediately. You called one with 6.02 to go. You're out of timeouts with about four minutes to go. Was that specifically the result of you studying when to use timeouts at the ends of games? Uh, yeah, I think it probably played a, played a pretty large role in those decisions. I know Zach was 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 looking for my input and in those parts of the game. And, and he, you know, very much, uh, would, would listen to the suggestions that, that, that we made. Um, you know, we also had 
um, Sam Francis, who's an analytics um, guy with us in Cincinnati, was tremendous help to me, and he was sitting right next to me on game day, so he would kind of help uh, with those decisions as well. But yeah, you know, really at that point in the game, it just it becomes about maximizing the value of your timeouts, and so when you're trying to get the ball back, you want to use timeouts in situations where you have a high likelihood of preventing the team from converting a first down and so it it becomes a little strategic you can be a little more um it can vary a little more in terms of when you use them when there's more time left on the clock and and when you're still in a two-score game like that you're really in you're in four-minute mode even though there's still six minutes left in the game just because of of how many points you still need to score Bill Belichick seemed to expose a loophole in the rules last year with an intentional delay of game followed by an intentional false start because you can't have back-to-back intentional delay of games. Correct. And, and then the Titans used it against Bill Belichick in the playoffs. What was your reaction when he did that, and did the team go over it the next week? Well, uh, you know, to be honest, it's it's something that uh, has happened a lot uh, in in the past in, in NFL games it's mm. you know we were we were well aware of that strategy um you know prior to the season we talked about it with 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 coach Simmons and uh unfortunately we weren't ahead in many games in the fourth quarter where we could have used it to our advantage um uh, but it's uh, it's something we you know we were aware of and uh, just really never came up in terms of us being able to use it um but uh I think they're talking about if they haven't already, the competition committee maybe maybe closing that loophole. Um, but uh, it was it was something we we knew could potentially happen, and it was it wasn't all that surprising to see it. We're visiting with Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. We are doing this interview one week to the day after the selection of uh, Joe Burrow number one overall in the draft. Of his many impressive qualities, what's at the top of the list for you? Uh, well, I'll kind of go in two different categories as a as a as a player, um, just his physical skill set, the the easiest one is his accuracy, but I even look a little bit more at his ability to uh, manipulate the pocket and extend the play. I think he has tremendous uh, natural feel, pocket presence, uh, spatial awareness to where he can do things that just come very natural to him uh, with a lot of chaos around him. He remains calm and he can escape. He can move within the pocket and still deliver the ball. Uh, it's something that really jumps out at you. And then the other thing I would just look at is just his, um, his intangibles, his makeup. Uh, he's an intense competitor. He has a big picture perspective that's uncommon for uh, rookie quarterbacks and he's capable of handling a lot mentally. And so that that bodes well for uh, his development going forward. Leading up to the draft, the team took advantage of every Zoom call opportunity it had to talk with Joe, and you were involved in that. What did those Zoom meetings typically involve? Well, we use them mainly uh, as an evaluative measure. So we're um, really, this is kind of across the board, not just with Joe, but you're, uh, you're, you're, you're teaching them some, uh, specific things to our offense and then kind of asking him to, to teach it back just to test the ability to process, to retain, to, to recall that stuff. Um, so that's a pretty standard process. And, you know, you're watching tape. You watch some of LSU tape. You watch some Bengals tape. And, and in there, too, you're trying to get to know the person. Um, and it's not easy to do when you're doing it via um, – 
the internet, but uh, you try to have just some personal conversations, get to kind of know how how he ticks, and uh, I think we were able to do that pretty well. Dan, you're only 33 years old, and if Joe is the starting quarterback, as anticipated, your career as a quarterback's coach is going to align with his career as a starting quarterback. What does that mean to you? Well, I know how hard I'm going to work. And everything I've learned about Joe suggests uh, he's going to be the exact same way. And so it's it's comforting to um, to know, you know, as a young coach with a with a young uh, player that he's wired the way that he is. Um, and you know, in terms of big picture, you know, what it means career wise, I'm not really concerned with that right now. I'm concerned about uh, really getting Joe and and Jake and Ryan, um, you know, in the best position they can be in to play their best football. And when you're doing that, you don't have much time to think about other stuff. How difficult is it going to be for Joe to prepare for his rookie year without a typical off-season program? Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a new element that we're not used to having to navigate. And uh, so it'll, it'll be tough. Just how tough? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that anybody can say right now um, because we don't know how long this is going to last and when we'll be able to get back together. So uh, we can't worry about it. We just have to put together a structure that gives gives all of our guys uh, a great chance to be successful. And then whenever the physical reps do come back, we got to take advantage of every single one of them uh, because they will be fewer than they have been in the past. A couple more questions for Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. The Bengals have uh, decided to release Andy Dalton to give him the opportunity to sign on with another team. What are your biggest takeaways from working with Andy for a few years? Good player and even better person. Uh, he's He's been outstanding with me. Um, you know, just getting to know him over the last four years and, you know, working closer and closer with him every year got great admiration for his character um for uh his professionalism how he's approached his role and how he's prepared for his role uh and been able to have uh success over a long period of time obviously none of us are uh satisfied or happy with uh, the lack of wins in the recent couple of years but uh you know andy's done everything that he could have done um, and and I'm, um, I'll always be an Andy Dalton fan. Uh, I hope wherever he goes, he continues to have success, just not against the Bengals. <laughs> and uh, you know he's he's going to continue to do great things. He's a he's a really good person. Um, he's made a lot of impact in the community that has nothing to do with football. So I think uh, I, I have a ton of respect for him. Last thing for Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher, in the last year, I've heard Zach Taylor refer to you as a superstar and as a rising star. Describe your relationship with the boss. Well, it's awful nice of him to say those things. I don't uh, I don't know about either of those uh, characterizations, but Zach's been great with me from the beginning. Um, I, I had met Zach maybe one time before he got the job, and, and he has uh, given me responsibility and treated me with a type of uh, respect that uh, I probably hadn't even earned when he got here. So I'm very grateful for that, and I just want to do the best job possible uh, so that we all can have success. Appreciate the time. Best of luck in your interactions with Joe Burrow and the other Cincinnati quarterbacks, and I look forward to seeing you face-to-face when that's allowed again. 
Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.